Hello and welcome to Book Lovers Companion. My name is Edith and right next to me is my lovely co-host, The Chattering Teacup. Hello. And here with us for our new episode from across the pond, Edward Rossick. Hello and welcome to Book Lovers Companion. Well, thank you. Good to be here. It's wonderful to have you here. You have written quite a number of short stories, poems, and in 2022, February... Am I correct? Yes, you are. Yes, your first novel came out, Deep Roots, which is a horror novel, isn't it? Yes, definitely a horror novel. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, if you start reading it, <laughs> it starts out quite brutal, let's say. It's not a nice beginning. It's not. I mean, it's a horror story, but it's... Yeah, but you have to admit you're a bit squeamish, my dear. Yeah, it's... it's <laughs> it's my uh, what well, you know you know teacup you're you grow it go right along with my wife because she read the first page and she said i don't know if i can read the rest <laughs> i said you know you, you can do it go ahead yeah it gets better than it's not a not so nice picture in there it's it's it, yeah, you know it's it's, it's, a, it's a horror book it, it's a brutal story it's interesting because i wrote i wrote the book Mainly, long stories, it took me 21 years to write it, but the, the bulk of the book was written during a dark time in my life. And I, and I really think some of that darkness um, came through the book because it's, it's a horror book. It's not a, yeah. it's not a, it's not a fun, light book. So people love horror. I, I, at least the people that have talked to me, they've really liked it. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you don't, I tell them, don't read it. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's a dark book. It really is. Yeah, it certainly is not cozy mystery. Nope. No. Definitely not. And... We always wonder why it is called, called cozy mystery. I mean, it's feel good, but there are still people dropping dead. <laughs> left and right and center. Left, right and center, definitely. Um, I don't know how much we are supposed to tell our listeners before they get the chance to read your book. But the main character, Kevin, he uh, lives in Detroit. That's where it's set. Yes. Present day Detroit. Uh, yeah, pretty much present day. I mean, I don't... I, 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 Purposely left out all the stuff about the uh, the pandemic because uh -huh. that, that's a whole other story, right? And so it's it's yeah, set in present day Detroit, sans the pandemic. So, uh -huh. uh -huh. oh yeah, it's 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 present day. Yeah, and he is out from prison for a little about six months when when the story starts, and yeah. he has been to prison for six years, and we find out quite a few. Like you said, gruesome details uh, as we read along about mostly his past in prison because this past in prison it comes to haunt him. Yeah, absolutely. And physically, yeah, literally comes to haunt him. Yeah, in in more than one way. Yes, yes, more than one way. Absolutely, that's a good way to put it. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about Kevin. Uh, where did he come from? Where did the idea for him come from? And I, that's a, that's a great question, Edith. I don't know, really. I mean, Kevin really isn't anything like me. <laughs> He's really not. <laughs> Kevin's uh, much younger than me. I mean, he's 30 years old, very disenfranchised, very bitter to a significant degree and just sort of wandering, doesn't really know where he wants to go. And really at his core, doesn't really want to take the time to find out where he wants to go. Which I think describes a lot of younger people today, right? I mean, in the world we live in, they are disenfranchised. They are, they don't know where they want to go. They get into a different world than at least when I grew up back in the 70s and 80s. And so I, I wanted to try to get that, that, that is for, you know, 
gestalt or whatever word you want to use. I want to try to get that feeling in the book. I have a very close relative who worked in the prison system decades. So I heard a lot of stories about the prison system. So I want to at least work in there that work in that into the book a little bit. And I grew up in Detroit, so I know the city very, very well. I mean, I'm sure you've heard the old saying, write what you know. Well, I, I know, I know Detroit really, really, really well. <laughs> and so, and I've had many people comment about that in the book that, wow, it feels like we're really in Detroit, which I take as a compliment. I mean, that's my job mm-hmm. that I, I do put people in Detroit because, and I, I grew up there. I literally in the streets that you read about, I, I've been on those streets and I, I know what it's like down there. So. And I'm sorry, have they changed those streets since you, since you grew up? Because the, no, because the, the neighborhood you depict is quite bleak. It, I think it Detroit has seen better times. Yeah, it, it is bleak. I mean, Detroit's an interesting city in many, many ways. Uh, it really, it was a city built to house and have about a half million and a half people live. Right now, there's about 700,000 people in the city. So it's really this huge city with only half the population. So many areas are like, like the street that I described that Kevin is on. I mean, it's there one or two houses and the rest of the block is just devastated. It's, you know, it's like Darmstadt after World War II. It's, uh-huh. uh, it's, it's, it really is war torn. I could drive down there, which I have many, many times. It's, it's like going through a war zone because the houses are burned down or knocked down. And the city, to its credit, um, the current administration, they're doing a, a, a really hard job, a good job, if you will, of, of knocking down a lot of the old houses. But then you have these blocks and blocks of nothing. So it's, a, it's an interesting city. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the next few days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's also, I think, or I, I suppose it has to do with the fact that a lot has changed economically in Detroit. Yeah, because Detroit was a, was an industrial powerhouse, right? It's where all the steel and the cars were made uh, during the World War II, where all the bombers were made and all that stuff. And now I mean, <laughs> most of that shipped out overseas, right? So uh-huh. yeah. really, I mean, there's still an industrial base there, don't get me wrong, but uh-huh. it's not. So I wanted to. I wanted to capture that bleakness. And yet still, as people read in the book, there are areas where that are revitalized. Uh-huh. There's sort of renaissance in some areas where that are very, very nice. Um, I mean, the last time I was down there, I went to some areas and I couldn't believe how vibrant they were. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, there's pockets of renaissance in, in the midst of oceans of decay. I think that's uh-huh. one of the one of the sentences in the book, and that's really what it is. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Hopefully that came through in the book. Yeah, it did. And also the fact that I think, would you say that Kevin tries to reflect this change a little bit in the way he tries to pull himself up on his bootstraps and get, get on with his life? To a degree, yeah. To a degree. He certainly he certainly doesn't do enough. I don't, I, Kevin is not a, somewhat of a likable character, but he's really not because he makes really, especially as the book goes on, he makes poor decisions and not only affect him, but people that love him. And that's, that's a bad thing in my opinion. And I think in most people's opinion. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, he's, he was an interesting character, right? I, I, I enjoyed him. I, I enjoyed writing him. Uh-huh. I did. I mean, very uh, early in the book, um, we get a little bit an, a glimpse, I'd say, like you mentioned it before about the prison system and so on, a little bit how that works. And we get a glimpse of how life was for him. I mean, we can't relate to this. Yeah, 
but <laughs> it's brutal. And yeah, he had he had to do a lot of things to survive. And it changes you. Yeah, what you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, you're correct. It does change. I mean, it changed him in in many ways, right? Again, literally and metaphorically, it changed him. Um, so yeah, and again, I, I wanted I wanted all that to hopefully come out in the book. I also the other thing I wanted to do in the book, I wanted, especially when you have a character like Kevin, who's really not not a really likable character. I want somebody that people could like or root for. And I and I think I did that reasonably well with, with his girlfriend, Sherry. And I and I also wanted to make Sherry a strong figure. I didn't oh. want her to be little damsel in distress, and she's not. No, um, definitely not. The very I think if any out of all the characters in the book, I liked her the best. I really did. She she's probably the most one that stands up for herself, that that lives her morals, that lives I mean she's not a saint, but who is. Um, exactly. She does the right things, so to speak, and she tries to do the right things. And so I, I like playing that off mm-hmm. between the between Kevin and her. Mm-hmm. So, she takes no bullshit, does she? She takes no bullshit. No. <laughs> well, she's a typical Detroit woman. They're <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good for her. Um uh so the question would be, without giving too much away, of course, that's always difficult. It's the same with, with crime fiction. It's always hard to decide how much. I mean, can you describe a little bit, without giving too much away, how this story of a person who's left prison turns into a horror story? Yeah, uh, boy, it's, it's hard. It, <laughs> uh, it's through the chain. It's through his change, right? And I think even... In, in, like you say, murder mysteries or any mysteries, and I love mysteries. I read, uh, I'm a voracious reader because I think probably most writers are. I read a lot of mystery and a lot of crime fiction. Um, he changes. He changes in, he changes literally. Uh, he changes metaphorically. He changes, makes very, very poor decisions that he can't or won't get out of, that he won't make the, won't make the decision to do what needs to be done that would be in, in his own best interest. So he's his own worst enemy. There's a story going on. And does he even have a change to a uh, chance, sorry, a chance to get out of this? Because what, what has been done to him? Yeah, he does. And again, it's it's all about to me. Life life is about choices, right? And choices aren't easy. I'm, I never, and if I right, had this conversation with other friends, they say, "Well, you make it sound so easy. It's not easy at all. Choices are ungodly hard. And sometimes the choices you have, no choice is good." Yeah, but you still have a, you still have a choice, and he had choices, and he chose the coin of phrase from uh, Indiana Jones. He chose poorly. <laughs> <laughs> he chose poorly. Yeah, yeah. And because of that choice, his life went down a spiral that that at and you could argue at that point he couldn't get out of. Oh, so. oh. And in this in this whole plot of yours, which character was for you the hardest to write? It's a good question. I don't, think any of them were that hard to write um and i don't want to sound arrogant um <laughs> novels are uh, in and of themselves a challenge um but i don't think any of them i liked all of them i liked i i mean even the the bad bad guy uh, red donna we can say his name um i liked writing him i mean he was fun to write um uh, yeah I, there were really no hard ones mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. did you ever get the feel even with your bad bad ones like you said Yeah, you have done too much, or no. were you afraid that is no, no, <laughs> no. no. okay. And why well, does I, I, I write what the book needs? I mean, really, I think that's what all writers should do. I mean, what is the book called for? They call for something really horrific and put something in there really horrific. Yeah, I don't 
I don't think I'd write, I don't try to write for shock value. That's easy to do. I can write a shock value story in three hours. That's super easy. I, I don't, hopefully, I, I mean, it might look that way, but I didn't try to make it that way. Yeah. As you mentioned before, um, how is it that usually the worst guys are the ones that seem very normal and people that look maybe dangerous to the eye are some from teddy bears? <laughs> that's, that's a great point. And I like that because exactly, right? It's, it's easy to write the, the hulking six and a half foot tall, 250 pound monster. It's easy. But what about the You know, the five foot seven, 150 pound guy who's got balding hair and a bulging belly and looks like nobody. Yeah. They, they could be the monsters. Sometimes they are. So I, those, those are the fun ones. Again, the, the big raging hulks, those are easy to write. The, the other ones are a little harder. Okay, anyway, make them very horrific to make them scary, but not make them internally that, but not, not externally. Mm -hmm. So. Is it easier then for them to do what they do because everyone underestimates them? Absolutely. Because, right, the, the, you look at psychopaths, which are, are the true monsters of the world. Yeah. Um, most of them are just, they're either normal looking or they're good looking, right? I mean, uh -huh. look at the mass murderers in this country. They were very handsome guys uh, and they were monsters. Yeah. yeah. And your book is um, written in the third person. Have you ever toyed with the idea of writing it in first person? <laughs> That's not a great question. I did. I did toy with that. Um, and eventually it just, again, it, the book just called for it to be written in third person. Um, uh, I, I, I actually prefer writing in first person. I find that the easiest way to write for me. Um, writing in third person is, is more of a challenge. Um, but um, yeah, this, this book, just was uh, just needed to be written in third person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a prequel to this book that will be written in first person. Mm -hmm. So, so it, it will, it, yeah, it, it's actually the, there's two prequel prequels to this book. Uh, uh -huh. And I got them outlined. Um, one takes place in 1972. One takes place in 1973. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so whose story will it be then? It'll, well, it'll be, um, The first book, the story will be, both books will concern Riadona, the bad guy, mm -hmm. where he came from, how he came to be, his, his, his beginning, so it's mm -hmm. the metamorphosis of him into a monster. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, although he probably always was a monster. He probably was one of those people that were for a psychopath. And I think there are people like that. Yep. I, I agree. Yeah, I, I think there are. I think she's one of those. And so the first book will tell the major story of that. The second book will tell the repercussions of that, how that generationally can continue on. Yeah. So, yeah. so they're, they're prequels in, in that sense. They're not prequels in the sense of what happened to Kevin. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Understand. Um, will, there, will there be sequels to Deep Roots? I don't know. Um, it, certainly some of the characters in the, um, in the book, I think there could be. Um, uh, sequels to uh, the members of the Motor City Fire Masters. I like the uh, uh, the one couple. They were very good. Uh, I might write about them, but but a direct sequel, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> And I also wondering um, the research for the mysticism in this book because you have elements of the Celtic and and other 
um, mythologies interwoven in this book? How much research was involved to getting it right? A lot. Uh, there was a lot of research done because I wanted to get it right. I wanted to get the, this neuronic research and the, the other, the other types of stuff, which I don't want to give away, but, um, yeah, I wanted to get that right. Mm -hmm. So at least basis in what, what's known out there. So like, and then the, where, where Rio Donna was in Deutschland in Germany, I wanted to, I mean, that place is real and yep. know about it. And yeah. so I wanted, I wanted to get all that stuff right. But yeah, there was, I tried to do a lot of research in my books. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted to ask you about body modification, because that also plays a vital part in your book. And I've recently saw a, I think it was an article and, and a short video about this man who, I think he's American, he wants to become, oh, not, not become, but look like an alien. Mm. And, and he, had, he, he had his ear shells removed and now he wants to get a part of his leg amputated. I mean, that, that's going to the extreme, but... I suppose there is there is a not so small community of people who are into body modification. That's correct. There there is a significant there is a number of people in the body modification, right? And that that was another that it still is another huge interest of mine. So okay. that another way to weave it into the story, right? Because there is a lot of body modification in many ways in the story. Yeah. So I think for a lot of people that um, that's that's outside their wheel box. That's outside their, their line of thinking. So yeah. it, it, it's a good way to give, give the reader something new to think about. I always like reading about things that I don't know about. So mm -hmm. a lot, a lot, many people don't know about that. So what have you learned when you researched that? Because you said it is an interest of yours. Uh, yeah. It's just it, what, what people will do and want to do to their bodies is, is, is amazing. Um, uh, you know, I look at it both as a, just as a lay person, as, as a physician, it's just to yeah. see what people will do to their bodies and what can be done to the human body. Um, why would they want to do it? What does society do when people do it? How do they look at them? Do they look at them as outcasts? Do they look at them as freaks, as entertainers, mm -hmm. or as somebody who wants to do something body? So mm -hmm. it was a fun, it's a fun concept to play with. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Yeah. And what did you find out about the driving factors for people to change their bodies so much? Yeah, it, it really varies. It varies to, they just want to be different. They, they feel like they're outsiders. So they want to physically manifest that. Mm -hmm. um, they want to be part of this, this group, uh, human homo sapiens or tribal animals. We all want to be part of the group. That's just what's hardwired in us, uh, God, nature, whatever you believe in. Um, so they want to be part of this group. Um, or they want to, they want to try something new or they feel like they're not, you know, they're not, uh, they're not who they're supposed to be and they're not physically manifesting who they're supposed to be. So they want to, they want to do whatever they want to do, either adding things or taking off things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you have this doctor in your book, Dr. Rothstein, Rothstein, however you pronounce him, Rothstein, German. Right. Dane Frankenstein, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We would we would call him Rothstein since his his ancestors were from Germany. Um, he does the, the, uh, this kind of body modifications, and my question for you as a physician would be: since I mentioned the person who wants his uh, leg amputated, how far can or should a doctor go with his patients' wishes? I mean, regarding his oath. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a wonderful question. Um, and I don't think there's, at least for me, I don't think there's a, 
Well, I mean, for me, there is, but I don't think overall there's a, there's a black and white answer. I think it really depends. I mean, what's for me as a physician, my first question that I need to answer myself is what's best for the patient. Mm-hmm. Um, in the context of is a patient making reasonable, rational decisions, right? A patient comes to me and says, hey, doc, I, you know, I really want you to cut my head off. I'd feel a lot better if you did that. <laughs> I, I would have to say no to that. Yeah. Um, but it gets, in, again, it's, it's, it's one of those gray areas, which is so interesting as both as a writer, um, what's, how far can we go? What, what should we do if the patient comes and says, I really want my leg cut off? Well, why is that? Why you really need to delve into what, what's going on in that patient's life that they feel that their leg is alien, so to speak, and they, they want it cut off. So yeah. I think it's a gray area. Well, yeah, true. And as a writer and as a reader, of course. Uh, what would you say are the most important elements of a good horror story? Um, yeah. Engaging characters. I think that's for any story, though. I, whether it's horror, mystery, romance, I, you have to have engaging characters. For me, both as a writer and as a reader, if I'm if I'm writing something and the if I'm writing something and the character is boring me, then man, I'm figuring the reader's going to be triple bored because they're it's my creation and I'm bored. Um, uh, for horror, fast-paced, uh, for most, uh, yeah, I would say for fast-paced slash engaging, um, one of the reasons I started the book off the way I did, because I wanted people to be engaged. I wanted people to see this where Kevin was. Um, not both, again, metaphorically and literally. I mean, where he's at, his mind, where he's at physically, what he's dealing with. And so, yeah, the first page or the, the first page is pretty shocking, but I, I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to do that. And I, and I like that. I like that personally, when I'm reading a horror novel, I want to be, I want to be engaged. Um, yeah. I want horror stories when I write them. And when I read them, I want to be engaged. I want to know what's the next chapter. What I, I can't put, I, I love books where I can't put it out, right? Where it's one in the morning and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so tired. <laughs> But I just got to read the next chapter. Um, and I've been told by many people, that's how this book is, that they really read a chapter and they're like, oh, I really need to know what's happening in the yeah. next chapter. Yeah. So I think it's really important, especially for, for horror. Yeah. Um, and are there, in, in some genres, there's a limit how far you can go in what you write. Are there any limits in horror stories? Because I have to say, um, you, you only mentioned that in passing, but still, the dead cat. I mean, it's not. It's, 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 yeah, yeah. it's not done it, well, actively. Yeah, that's what, yeah, well. <laughs> it's one of these harder well, Yeah, so... I, in horror, it's a, another, you guys have great questions and it, it is, but it isn't. Certainly there's, 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 there's subgenres of horror that are called splatterpunk, mm-hmm. which are very, very, very gory, very, uh, I, very gory. Um, I don't, gosh, I, I don't know if I've ever written, even written a short story like that. I don't think so. Um, I, I find those, I find that stuff really easy to write. If I would, it's like, I've probably written it. I. I don't find it particularly engaging. I mean, because after a while you become a nerd to it. You become, oh. you know, here's another person that's disemboweled or here's another person that's decapitated or, or whatever horrific thing you want to do that's in the body uh, and the human mind. So I don't think there's really any limits to it, um, but there's certain, certain times and places where you don't want that to be because it just wouldn't fit in the book in and of itself. Again, 
I think in Deep Roots, there are, it's a horrific book. It's a dark book, but I don't think, I, I mean, I'm not graphically, graphically, graphically describing certain things. I'm doing it just to, just to shock people. So in Splatterpunk, that's, it's for shock value. It's how, how detailed can I get on this evisceration? And and that's fine. I've read those books, but I'm generally not a, not a fan of that. Not a reader. And did um, your medical knowledge and uh, your training and practicing um, make it any easier? Because if, I guess you've seen a lot of things regular people didn't see in their life. It certainly makes those kind of scenes easier because I can, I mean, I've done that, right? I've done surgeries where I'm literally up to my elbows in somebody's chest cavity. Um, and that, it, and it never has bothered me. I mean, I, and I think to be a physician, it can't bother you, right? Yeah. Because if it bothers you, you, you can't do the job. Cool. It, it doesn't bother me. I'm very good at compartmentalizing things. So if I'm in a surgery, I can compartmentalize, you know, this is a, this is a body part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have to do that because unless you're a psychopath, which, which I'm not, I really, I'm really not, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm have to take somebody's toenail off, that's a very painful procedure. And if I compartmentalize that, I'm going to have a lot of emotional scars from it. I am because I'm not, I don't want to hurt people. I don't, I don't want to do And for those of us who aren't psychopaths, we don't want to do that. So you have to be able to compartmentalize it. So, so yeah, writing those scenes or writing any kind of those scenes is, is not, it's not, it's not hard. Hmm. And it might, might be a stupid question, but uh, when you when you started writing this book, did it or was it intended to be a horror book from the beginning? Because with Kevin, his past and so on, it could have easily been, like you said, um, mystery crime fiction, not not uh, necessarily horror. Absolutely, uh, no. It, it was always so. Deep Roots was actually written twenty. I wrote it twenty one years ago as a. 9,000 word short story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I showed, sold this short story. It was a story about Kevin. So who was characters in it? It was Kevin, Caesar, and Roxanne and Nehemiah, which is interesting because if you read the book, you learn how he plays into the book. Mm-hmm. But so it was a 9,000 word short story. I, and I knew when I wrote the story and then I sold it, I, I knew the story needed to be a novel. Even then, 21 years ago, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't a good enough writer to do it. I wasn't. And, and so for 11 years, it just sort of percolated in the back of my mind and I would kind of go back to it, write some notes and I would go back to it. I just, I wasn't a good enough writer. And finally about 11 years ago, 10, 11 years ago, I, uh, I felt I was a good enough writer. I wanted to tackle it. So I started tackling it. I went to a writer's workshop on Taos, New Mexico, old Taos toolbox, uh, and wrote about eight chapters of it then, the first eight chapters and just kept writing it. So, um, so yeah, it was always a horror novel, mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. Um, as a horror writer, again, probably a, a stupid question, but do you have a role model? Yeah. Yes. And it's, no, it's not a stupid question. It's a good question. I mean, uh, Joe Lansdale, who's a prolific writer out of East Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like Lansdale because he not only, he writes everything. He writes what I, and I like to call myself a speculative fiction writer. I mean, I write horror, I write fantasy, I write science fiction, I write things that you really can't, you can't put in a box. Um, and Mr. Lansdale's like that too. He writes a lot of speculative stuff. I don't, I don't put myself on the same pedestal as him, but, um, yeah, he's, he's somebody I, I, I love to read anything he writes. I'll read. I think every writer at a certain point comes into their own in the sense of, again, even 10, 11 years ago, if you're reading my short story, you can say, yeah, this sounds like Stephen King or this sounds like Joel Lansdale or whatever. Hopefully now when people read my stories, they'll say, oh yeah, that's a Rosick story that he has written in. I, it, It has my own voice. And I, I like to think I'm at that point. 
um, that when you read a story of mine, you know it's a story of mine. You know that I've written mm -hmm. it. It has, it has a certain flavor to it. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but Lansdale would probably be the person I would like to emulate in terms of not only success, but how he writes this. And he writes everything from crime fiction to horror to unclassifiable. Mm -hmm. And for you personally, um, since we had quite a few authors on our show who wrote or who still write short stories and they love to write them, what is for you personally the appeal of writing a short story compared to a novel? What's the biggest challenge? Yeah, so the appeal is it takes a lot less time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for number two, um, the challenge is to try to get the story in you know, a thousand words, 5,000 words, 10,000 words. When I write a story, whether it's a thousand words or a hundred thousand words in my mind, man, I don't know what any other writers do, but in my mind, it's like painting. I have this palette and the palette is in the old days was a piece of paper. Now it's our computer screen, but it's, it's a palette. And so on that palette, I have my paint and the paint is my words. And so what kind of picture can I paint for a short story? It's like a little postcard, right? It's a little, it's a little but it's still a picture for a novel that's this it's a Sistine Chapel it's a huge palette mm -hmm. it's a palette nonetheless and so what can I use what paints can I use to make to write the most beautiful picture mm -hmm. uh, so for a short story that's more of a challenge because you, you have a very small palette for a novel which is the appeal of novels for me it's this huge palette I can go almost anywhere I can write you write sub stories so to speak right you write different stories within the novel Why connect you all together? Yeah. So they're both they're both fun. I like doing both. Um, I just I you know last month I wrote four thousand word short stories just because to, to for this one magazine that um, and accept them, but that's okay. You know, at least now four four thousand word short stories I can send out to other people. So it was fun to do. It was fun to get away from the novel. Mm -hmm. Just focus on that those little those little short short mm -hmm. fiction. This also begs the question, are you a planner or a pantser? Uh, I am not a planner. I, uh, yeah, I wish I was. It's, it's funny you ask that question because I was asked that just a few days ago. No, I wish I was a planner. I wish I could outline things and then just go, you know, go step by step by step. I'm not. I, I've tried. I really, really, really have tried for decades. It's not me. I've quit trying. <laughs> but, quit. but for a novel, no planning at all? You know, I don't plan. What I do is I'll write. I'll get, I'll get scenes in my head, then I'll write those down. So I'll say, you know, this scene's going to go here. And sometimes those scenes don't. Sometimes they're like, eh, you know what, this scene's not going to work. But it, it, it helps me to, again, decide what color paint I'm going to use later on in the story. Mm -hmm. The current novel I'm working on, um, I'm about 40,000 words into it. Um, I, I, I think I know the ending, I think. But I, I, I'm letting myself maybe change it. I know how the story is going to go. I know where it's going to go. I pretty much know how it's going to end, but everything in there, what's going to get me 40,000 words to 90,000 words. I, I don't know. Mm, what, what, so just a slight guideline. A slight guideline. I, I wish I could plan more. <laughs> <laughs> And were there any surprises with deep roots then? Yeah. Um, the surprise. Yeah, there were surprises. So I got, when I was at, When I was in New Mexico and I got about, I don't know, chapter eight, nine, I don't remember anymore, but I was at a point where I was sort of stuck and I didn't know where to go. And one of the, Walter Williams, one of the people, one of the writers who was running a workshop said, you know, he didn't even, he gave me the idea or he gave me, he said, you need, you need, you have to move from point A to point D. Here's how you can possibly do it. And I ruminated on that. And then I came up with the, um, a, a character of uh, Johnny Bismarck, my, the favorite name I have ever written. <laughs> 
I, I'll never beat that name. I love Johnny Bismarck. <laughs> He's a horrible character, right? He's a yeah. horrible man. Oh yeah. my God. But he was so fun to write. And he, he moved the book from point A to point B. And I had never thought of him before I got out there. Uh, so once, once I wrote Bismarck, then the book really finished. And then it really, then it was, it was a challenge, but I knew where it was going to go. Uh-huh. But I, I needed him. He needed to be in the book. Mm-hmm. Even though if you think about it, he's in the, what, five pages maybe, if that. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, he turns the story around a bit. He, he, he turns the story around. He, he, he makes Kevin make decisions. He, he gives Kevin a glimpse of hope, right? You always want to have a, oh, there's a little hope. Oh, and then pull it away from him. Mm-hmm. A catalyst. It's, yeah, he, he was a catalyst. Exactly. That's the work. He was a catalyst. They're the catalyst. I didn't, I didn't have that. And once, once Bismarck came, came up alive, Uh that that was a catalyst for the rest of the book. Would you say then that mm, in a horror story, you might need a character like Bismarck as a catalyst? Because, um, for example, Ankleve said, I think it was Raymond Chandler who said, uh, if you're stuck, just pull a gun. Mm. I mean, (laughs) yeah, right, exactly. That's exactly right. And Bismarck is certainly a gun, right? He really is. He's a, He's a bad gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good guns, but he's definitely a gun. That, that's a great analogy. Uh, I think I think you could say that for 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 this for the, in this case. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think and for for a lot of horror, you need that catalyst. You need them to keep moving. You can't just write again. You can't just do, in my opinion, horrific scene after horrific scene yeah. after you'll numb the reader and the reader will be amped. So just yeah. another another brutal. Yeah, uh, what, and the same thing in crime fiction, right? Mm-hmm. You just can't make the same thing over and over. You have to have a catalyst or yep. multiple catalysts. And isn't the things we imagine even more horrible than anything you could have written in your book? Oh, is that yeah. also something you play with? It, it is, right. The, what we, the fear of the unknown is mm-hmm. much, is 99.99% worse than the fear of the unknown. Right. I mean, again, that's human nature. What we fear, oh my gosh, what yeah. might have, what could be, rather than dealing, rather than what is, yeah. uh, is always more horrific. Yeah. So the same with Kevin, right? As he, as the story progresses, I don't want to give it away, but as the story progresses, he's, he's putting things out of his mind. He's, he's pushing it away. Oh, that's not, that's not, that's not happening. Yeah. And it is. And he finally, when he finally comes to realize it, that's when really the uh, stuff hits the fan. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Was there a point uh, while writing the book where you thought about how to describe something and then thought, no, I leave it to the reader to imagine. It's much worse. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, that happens all the time. I mean, I, I, again, I don't want to, as you say, I want, I want the reader to be able to almost imagine it themselves. Because again, that's what I like as a reader myself. When I, mm-hmm. when I read stories, the stories that really engage me, I'm there. I'm in the story, right? I'm in the streets of Detroit. I'm, I'm watching. I'm at this, this show that Kevin's at. So I, I don't want to. That's always the fine line, though, as a writer. You want to give enough information, but you don't want to give too much. And that, that's, that's the challenge. I think that's especially for all. All writers, at least I shouldn't say that. For me, it is. But I, I would imagine for most writers and other writers I've talked about. Yeah. So you want to give it up? Yes, no. And at the beginning, you also said about uh, writing a fast-paced story, a fast-paced novel, and a story that pulls you along and you can't put, put it down. And 
Did you did you ever try uh, writing screenplays, or are you trying to uh, write screenplays? That, that's a great question. I actually, I have actually I do have outlines, not for stories, for three screenplays. So um, I am going to try that. I uh, I've just recently retired actually from Michigan State, so I will have more time. I have other things going on, but I'll have more time. And that's one of my goals is to is to write a screenplay or tunes. Just not that I ever have any hope of selling it because that's Hollywood, but. Just to do it. It would be fun to do. Yeah. Why not? I mean. Yeah. Different way to write. Yeah. Try Europe. <laughs> yeah. Try Europe. Europe. Why not? <laughs> And isn't it very difficult to, when writing a screenplay, to, to mostly have the spoken speech and nothing else to tell a story? Absolutely. That would be a huge challenge. And that's. Again, I, I like challenges. I would love, I would love to just be able to do that to try something different. Um, again, just the same sort of the same analogy. Writing a short story and a novel. I mean, it's it's, it's a different challenge. So, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll try it. I've I've been I've I've acted. I've been in a couple things. I'm on IMDb if you look me up. So I have I have my acting credits and my behind the camera scene credits. So it would be fun to uh, fun to do a screenplay. Uh, I'm asking for your. What you estimate? I mean, the market. There is always a, a fashion in the in the book market. I mean, for example, it's crime or it's romance or whatever. Where would you say is horror at the moment? I think horror is at a really good spot. Um, uh, certainly, it's it's uh, it, it's at a much better spot than it was, say, 20 years ago. Horror wax wanes um, as a genre, as a as a as a literature genre. Certainly. Uh, in film, it's it's uh, huge, right? I mean, every week there seems to be a new horror movie coming out. Most of them lousy, in my opinion, but <laughs> they're, they're still coming out. So, and I think the same thing in in fiction. I think horror has 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 a renaissance. But you're right; it waxes and wanes. Um, 20 years ago, as a short story writer, I would tr try to chase that, but I don't I don't do that anymore. Oh. I write I write what I want to write. Mm -hmm. I think I think when you you come to the point, I think you should as a writer. What I what I tried to talk to younger writers write write what you write write what you want to write because it'll it'll show if you write if you're trying to chase the latest and greatest romance mystery whatever you're, you're never going to get there you're always going to be a step behind and, mm -hmm. and writing is going to come out like that if you write what you want it'll come out too. Do you think that's why it it went a little bit wrong? Then when they try to chase the next Harry Potter, oops, sorry, the next Harry Potter or the next, I don't know, Hunger Games? Oh, absolutely. Because again, they're just, it's, it's the market, right? It's the publishers, it's the film industry. They're trying to capitalize or get on the coattails of whatever yeah. is selling. And then you get a lot of really poorly written screenplays, poorly written books, et cetera, et cetera. And it, and it comes out and then people get tired of it and they move on to the next genre. So. Yeah. And I, I I read the book was published with a publishing house, uh, but you're not an independent author. Or did I get that wrong? That's correct. So it's 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 published by a, a, a regular publishing house, a small. I don't know how it's done in Europe. In in the states, probably the same in Europe because there's only four or five big publishing houses yeah. now in the world, right? Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of what we call small press publishers. Mm -hmm. So small publishers, mm -hmm. one, two, three, four people who publish books. Yeah. And that's what mine is. It's uh, it's called Thurston Howell Publications. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's it's like any, you know, it's like Simon Schuster, only a lot, 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 lot smaller. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the same, it's the same thing, right? It's, yeah. it's a publishing house. Um, and again, I writers can do whatever they want to do. My advice to all writers is either Get a either self-publish, which which one can do, yeah. or 
or publish through a publishing house. Don't use vanity houses. Never, never, ever pay anybody to publish your book. I, I'm really, that's really, that's, that's a big thing of mine. I'm not, I'm not putting a penny out for my yeah. book to be published. Yeah. I do stuff like this, right? I do podcasts, I do interviews, yeah. I do a lot of marketing, but I'm not, I'm not paying my publisher to publish my book. He's, they're going to pay me when, when I, when the royalties come in. Yeah. And I, I feel really, I'm very passionate about that. that mm -hmm. And what about the writing community? I mean, the last two years, we all sat at home most of the time and uh, communicated via Zoom or Skype or such things. How about the support from the writing community during those times for you? It was hard. It was a challenge. Um, it, it still is sort of a challenge because, I mean, again, it's it's different everywhere. I mean, yeah. it's still different here. Um, it's gotten better here. I mean, things have opened up. Um, yeah. We're getting together now more. Excuse me, but um, it's still it's still hard. I mean, it was hard before COVID, and it was yeah. it almost impossible. Yeah. Um, I mean, fortunately, stuff like this, right? Zoom, Skype, uh -huh. uh, internet interactions, fortunately, has kept a lot of things alive. But it's it's changed the world, and it's changed the writing world as much as anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And did you have a lot of communication with uh, colleagues? Did you get the uh, chance to exchange ideas or such? I have a small group that I that I do with, but huh? it, it's it just the pandemic made it that much harder to do. Mm. So. It's, it's, it's better now. Yeah. Fortunately. Yeah. Fortunately. Because it's writings, writing is a solitary endeavor, right? <laughs> that is, that's the way it is. And so yeah. for me anyway, it's nice to get out and talk to other writers and go to conferences and stuff like that. Well, it's good to do that now. Well, you touched a little bit upon that, but let me ask you specifically, what would be your advice for all the aspiring authors out there? Um, yeah. Number one, read. Read, 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 read everything. If you're a horror writer, read romance. If you're a romance, read horror. Um, and I, I'm, I'm like 90% serious about that. Um, I read everything. I, I don't read romance. Okay. <laughs> I, read, I read Westerns. Uh, people still write Westerns. Um, I read crime fiction. I read mysteries. I read uh, straight literature i read science fiction don't read a lot of fantasy because i'm not i just don't think there's a lot of great fantasy writers right now uh, that's just me um but read everything um and number two write write every day that because if you don't write you're not a writer you can say you're a writer but if you don't write you don't call yourself a writer write every day i don't care if it's one sentence i don't care if it's 50 pages but write every day sit down Look at the computer screen, right? The cow jumped over the moon a hundred times. I can't write anything, but just get, get, get that, get the juices, whatever you want to call it, and whatever writing. Uh, and number three, um, send out to publishers, right? If, if that's what you want to do and, and try to engage other writers, but reading, you have to be a voracious reader and you have to write. And those, there's no, there's no easy way to do it. It's, it's hard work. It's solitary work. It's hard work. And like you say, you might be writing in a genre that's maybe you want to write Westerns and nobody hardly ever reads Westerns except me, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what you want to write, write it anyway, do, do what you love, write, write what you not, you can learn about a lot of things, right? We have the internet, you can yeah. learn about it, but write what you're passionate about, write, write what's in your heart. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you do that, you'll be successful, whatever successful is. Hmm. See, you can be a writer. You write shopping lists all the time, so you can be a writer. Told you that. <laughs> and you never know what the um, next trend may be. So maybe you write a restaurant 
that's the next trend. Yeah, who knows? Maybe yeah. fashion. Fashion changes all the time. Now, have, since since you mentioned you read a lot and all kinds of different genres, because we have this conversation every time. We have this conversation, and we talked about it with our other guest the other the other day. What about if a book is written in British English? Would that put you off? No, I, I read. A, there's a lot of wonderful British writers um, uh, who write in British English that I read. It doesn't put me off. But I have to, it's a good, God, you guys have such great questions. I, I have to make sure I, I have to realize that in my, up here. And I have to get into that because it, it is a different way of writing. It's a different, it's, it's the English language, but it's not the American English language. Yeah. So I have to put myself in that place and then yeah. I can enjoy it. Yeah, yeah there's, a lot of, there's a lot of great English writers, uh, especially in the horror, the mystery genre. Mm -hmm. Does it make a difference when it's written in British English if it's set in say, Britain or set in the United States? Does it make it more difficult if it's set in the United States? No. It, 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 for me as a reader, it makes it almost more difficult if it's set in, if it's set in, in Britain because oftentimes, oftentimes I read books that I've actually had to put down because it's so British I can't understand it. Do <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? There'll be, yeah. so, there'll be, there'll be phrases that I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And that's fine because they're writing for British audience, but I just, I, 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 I can't understand it. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Sayings or something. Yeah. yeah. Which you are not used to if British English is not your, your mother tongue. Right. Yeah. I don't mind. I, and actually, I, I enjoy when, when it's like in a different, uh, different region of the world, right? If it's, uh, if it's in Wales or if it's yeah. somewhere. The British Highlands and the Scottish Highlands. I love reading about that stuff. I've, I'm blessed in that I've traveled around most of the world. So I've been to a lot of those places. So it's fun. I you know there was a book I read a year or two ago it said in Edinburgh and, and I had just been there with my son. So it was very cool. It's like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So stuff like that is good. But when it's, when it's really, really written for a British audience, I, it's really hard to read. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine them. You touched a little bit upon that as well. About your future plans? Yeah, so right now I'm writing. Um, well, yeah, again, I'm gonna have to live to be about 150 to get all the books <laughs> I want written. But I'm about 40,000 words into my next novel, um, very different than Deep Roots. Um, it's uh, set in the in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. I don't know if you know a lot about the Upper Peninsula, of Michigan. No. Yeah, Sorry. it's considered the Siberia of North America. And it's mm. very desolate. 300 to 350 inches of snow a year. Winter starts in October, ends in June. Yeah, <laughs> it's a uh, it's a brutal environment. It, it really is, um, I, and I know it well because I went to school up there. So um, it, it's set in the Michigan's Upper Peninsula. I've always wanted to write a novel there, and so this novel happened to take place. It's written in third person, but it's written in oh my gosh, four or five viewpoints. So the point oh. of view, sh and I've never done that, and I wanted to, so again, uh, I wanted to do that. I wanted to challenge myself. So it's fun. Um, and a dog in it. I'm a huge dog lover, and I've always wanted a dog in a novel, and <laughs> oh, there's a dog in this novel. So and there's viewpoints from her. There's ah. so it, it's fun. So it's a, it's a different book. It's a horror novel, um, but it's 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 much different than Deep Loops. So I'm about. Like I say, 40,000 words into it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm hoping to get it done in the next six months. We'll see. Keep our fingers crossed. Yeah. And yeah. please, please assure us the dog is going to survive. My, I have to. <laughs> it's funny. I was talking with my wife about it, and she said, is the dog going to live? I said, well, if it doesn't, my daughter will never talk to me. So 
I, I can I can tell you that now. It's a spoiler. The dog does not die. <laughs> <laughs> it's simply not done. It's simply not done. No. no. Edward, is there anything else you would like our listeners to know? No, I, I they can go to my website. That would be wonderful if they can do that. www.edrosic. That's uh-huh. dot net. They will find it in the description of our podcast, of course. Fantastic. You know, you know I, I did not do the website. I don't know any of that. I, a good friend of mine is a web designer, so his company did. Uh, it's, it's fun. They can read the first chapter of Deep Roots for free. There's Every month I'm putting up a free short story for them to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, free is one of my favorite words, so I figure every month like that. <laughs> um, and no, this is great. Uh, again, for aspiring writers, read a lot, write a lot. You got to write. If you don't write, you're not a writer. Mm-hmm. Just go to it. Even if you write shopping lists, we've established that as well. My dear. Exactly. Absolutely. Don't do it. Believe me. <laughs> See? Yeah, yeah. For a person who must know. I'm not going to say anything to that. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe in the future. Any more questions from you, Tika? No. 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 Well, Edward, it was a pleasure <laughs> talking to you. It was a pleasure talking to you too. Hopefully we can do this again. You are welcome. Just say the words and yep. you are on. Give it a lot. If you want to come on our show, like I said, you're always welcome. I appreciate it. I will, I will do that. Yeah. Wonderful. So it's for us to wish you a wonderful weekend. You too. Yeah. Enjoy. Stay safe. Yeah. Stay safe over there. Crazy times in Europe. Yeah, it is, but we we will see. We will see them through, I think. Yeah, well, absolutely. It will get better at one point. Yeah. Okay, absolutely. thank you for joining us. Thank you. Have a great day. Yeah, yeah. you, you too. too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. You did enjoy this episode as much as we did? Then hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Also, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. If you like to support us and buy us a coffee, you can do so via Buy Me Coffee and other platforms. You can find all the necessary links in the description. Until next time.